I have to admit, I was a little confused when you asked me to talk about this one. Especially when it was clarified that you were specifically referring to this film. To be 100% clear, this is the film that came out in 1986. The cartoon. Not the Michael Bay stuff or any of the other stuff. So... Transformers, G1. I actually used to have quite a few of them. Uh, as I was going through this, I found myself remembering quite a few of the had. Some of which they destroyed during the course of the film, but mostly not. I did actually have Astrotrain. Uh, I had the... Oh, God, what was his name? The aircraft carrier dude. You remember him? He looked... God, he was a terrible Transformer. <laughs> In the G1, it was just a block that had, like, a thing, and then wings that slipped out, except they kept getting stuck, you know. <sighs> so I suppose the purpose of selling toys certainly succeeded. One of the things that's never actually bothered me is if there's a show devoted to selling toys. And I know that sounds like a strange statement, but what I mean by that is as long as this show's good, who cares? <laughs> right? If you need... If that's the method by which you make your show good, if that's the, the way you fund it so that you can have the talented people necessary to make a good work, then okay, I'm down with that. And there have been several works over history which have been exactly that. I'm not 100% sure Transformers G1 qualifies. It has admittedly been a very long time since I've watched G1. I could probably recognize episodes on site if you played them, but it's it's been since I was a kid, since before high school. But there have been others. Also, Beast Wars is the best. Anyways, but I bring all this up because this film was made to sell toys. <laughs> but part of the catch there is, while there are a lot of people who put a lot of effort into trying to make as good of a thing as they possibly could, this was made to sell toys, and that was always the first line in the, in the document. Let me give you an example here. Um... Going ahead and looking at my notes here, uh, how do you? So you notice a lot of uh, Transformers, notably the Autobots, die in this film, but they also introduce quite a few new ones. Why? Because they were discontinuing the old models and they were adding new ones. You know, we're getting rid of the old toys so we kill them in continuity, and we're adding new toys so you can buy them. There's actually a weird amount of sense make, but what I mean by that is the way the story was written was Hasbro said. Here's a list. Kill these. <laughs> and that's how they decided how to move forward with the plot. That was, the, that was before they even had a plot. Before Unicron was even invented. It was, here, kill these guys off. There's also a huge... I, I should mention something before I go any further. There is an absolutely huge amount of misinformation and difficult-to-verify information on the making of this film. So I'm going to kind of only lightly touch on the behind-the-scenes things. Uh, for example, here's a direct quote, which I will share with you. But for the most part, I'm going to stay hands-off, because there's a, there's a lot of rumors and urban myths about this film. According to screenwriters, Hasbro underestimated the extent to which Prime's death would shock the young audience. Story consultant Flynn Dilly said, quote, We didn't know that he was an icon. It was just a toy show. We just thought we were killing off the old product line to replace it with the new product, end quote. Now, if you don't understand the significance of that, spoilers, Optimus Prime dies. I say that so jokingly because anybody who's even remotely familiar with, with Transformers knows that that is the one contiguous point across all of its media. Optimus Prime dies and then comes back. It's, it's literally a gag at this point. It's happened in the comics, the games, the movies, plural. 
and every iteration of the shows that I am aware of. It's almost a multiversal constant, especially amusing in a setting that has a defined multiverse with crossovers across its with, within its multiversal thing. So... <clears throat> but at the time, killing off Optimus was apparently not a great move because it's actually probably one of the best done scenes in the film, but that means that the best done scene in the film is a character death. While, you, while that's good from the perspective of an adult or someone who's trying to make a good piece of cinema, from the perspective of some kids who are playing with their toys and watching this when they're however young... <laughs> yeah. Anyways. <clears throat> Ignoring that. I also have to mention, I did, like I said, I did do some research for this film, and one of the things I found was a list of continuity errors and animation errors. It was like five pages long. So I'm not going to repeat any of that for you. I just thought I'd mention it because I was looking at that like, Oh my God! I should also mention I haven't seen this film since I was in school. Again, before high school. So, yay. Also, I just realized we're covering two Hasbro films this year, aren't we? Huh. Let's get into the film proper. So the film starts off goes out of its way to show you a bunch of little robotic children and does a surprisingly good job of establishing the scale of this planet that's eating other things. Notice no name. Well, they mention Unicron. They mention Unicron. But no voice is said. No personality. It's just this thing. This natural disaster which is showing up to eat their planet. They all die. Cool. Moving on. We then cut to Optimus, who's talking about how they don't have enough Energon to stage a full assault, which leads to Megatron spying on him and leading an assault. This is just a side note, but it always amuses me how much Energon was such a plot point back in G1. If you're thinking, why? Well, Energon is food. I mean, it's not a one-to-one -one relation, but, I mean, that is kind of how that works, and they need energy in order to function and getting and maintaining Energon was a huge plot point in most of the episodes. It's just, it's just interesting to think about food. Anyways. <clears throat> so, they have the first fight, and this, I mentioned how they decide who died. I already kind of mentioned that. That's why several of the Autobots just kind of get killed like punks, and then are immediately wiped from continuity. They're gone, they're dead, moving on. And this is the point where I have to say, what is up with the music choices in this film? Some of the music's legitimately great. Unicron's theme is awesome unironically, and still exactly what it needs to be to this very day. But we are ten minutes into this film, and we are up to our third hair rock song? I don't even know what to say about that. And they just tend to play over branches of scenes. Anyways, weird thought. How many of you, it was your first exposure to Transformers, was this film. Or, let me say that differently, your first exposure to the Transformers media was this film. Like, you've probably seen the toys or played with them or had friends with them, but your first time actually watching a Transformers thing was this film. Anybody? Now, that does not apply to me for reasons I've already mentioned, but I actually know a couple people personally who that does apply to them. And I, that kind of weirded me out until I did a little looking into it. This film was available on VHS for a long time readily and freely available. You can get this film now without any real issue, even ignoring re-releases. 
How easy is it to watch the original show? Now, thanks to the internet and modern efforts, it's easier now than it used to be, but for, eh, I'd say, almost two decades there, getting a hold of copies of the original show to watch was a thing. Not like they just sold them on VHS, or if they did, it was only for certain arcs or certain episodes. So good luck with that. But you know what you could get a hold of? The movie. In that light, it's interesting how the movie establishes so much about G1 in, in a very efficient manner in the first, I'd say, 20 minutes of the film. We see, we learn who the Decepticons are, the Autobots, their relationship to humanity. Starscream and his thing is ex exposited. We understand who Megatron is, who Optimus Prime is. We learn about the Devast Devastator and consequently get the idea of combiners. A lot of stuff is thrown at the audience very quickly and efficiently. And at first glance, I was thinking, well, of course it is, because this is for fans of the show, and it was. But it's interesting how it serves that double service of getting people aware of how the Transformers works, at least within G1 continuity. It's just interesting to think about, because, you know, I think that's probably the biggest reason why this film has endured in overall zeitgeist to this very day. That and you've got the touch, but we'll cover that in a minute. <clears throat> so the dialogue... <sighs> I don't have a nice way to say this. The dialogue in this film is terrible. The plot is interesting. The sequencing of events, the storyboarding, is good and then terrible, and then worse, and then bad. But it starts off surprisingly good, and the plot itself is engaging and, of course, has an extremely long-standing effect on Transformers as a setting. I'll talk about that uh, probably last overall. We, but, like, the, the dialogue in this film just makes me go... It doesn't help that most of the voice acting isn't good, despite having Paul Edding, uh, Peter Cullen, Leonard Nimoy. Sadness. Orson Welles. <sighs> Sadness. Um, God, who am I missing? Eric Idle is in this. <laughs> we've got quite a few people. We've, we've got the Micro Machines guy, for God's sakes. We've got Witwicky helping to push the thing because he's totally helping with that. Sure, kid. Sure. we got the Dinobots, who are apparently a, a match for Devastator, which actually, that does track. The Dinobots are, their whole shtick is that they're really strong and really stupid. So, okay, I'm with that. Um, and then at 19 minutes in, Saints Row 4 plays. I mean, you've got the touch plays. For the fight between Optimus and Megatron, which is a really weird decision, but let, let's just step over that for a second. There's a really good bit, though. I, I'm, I'm, the animation in this film is better than I thought it would be. It's obvious that they put a decent amount of effort into at least that aspect of production. Probably my favorite example, and the only one I'm really going to share with you, is Optimus goes into uh, driving form, his alternate form, and he starts racing forward, and we see a reflection of thrust in his grill as it's coming forward and then slams into him. And considering the animation of the time, that's not something that they could automate. That means they had to draw thrust separately across multiple frames as Optimus gets closer and closer. And it's pretty well done. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. So uh, then they fight, and they fight, and they fight, and they fight. One of the things I remember being weirded out when I was a kid is, what's so big about this attack? And the answer is nothing. It is literally just another random attack. The Decepticons and the Autobots have been fighting for centuries, depending on which continuity you want to look at at this. And so this is just another battle. It just happened to be a battle in which Megatron manages to corner and force Optimus into a one-on-one -on -one conflict, 
which leads with both of them mortally wounded. So, okay, I'm kind of with that. Either way, um, Hot Rod ruins everything, because that's his shtick, is being a hot-headed idiot. And Soundwave, they were going to actually leave Megatron behind. Did you catch that? Soundwave is the only reason they don't. Why? I know, I know, Soundwave is loyal. But again, I repeat to my earlier point. Why? Even in G1, the Decepticons were not known for their loyalty. They obeyed out of fear, or they kind of followed the Sith mentality. Whoever's the biggest and baddest boy around, that's who they listen to. For God's sakes, as soon as they kick all the guys out of Astro Train, the first thing they do is they start fighting each other for who gets to be the leader. Canonically, by the way, the reason Starscream won that fight is he waited for the guy who won, who was then exhausted and damaged, and then shot him in the back. I'll get more to Starscream in just a second, but what I want to talk about right now is Soundwave. I'm going to be dipping in and out of extended continuity here, because I've been following, uh, loosely following, uh, Transformers continuity for years, because it's a setting that's fascinating to me. And they've done some interesting things with it over the years, but it's hard to determine what counts when it comes to judging a work, since while there is an extended works, there's also the multiverse aspect. I should explain that really quick. Um... Star Wars does not have a multiverse. Star Wars has the EU and the AU, the extended universe and the alternate universe, right? The EU is is what it used to be. It was the movies and the books and the games and all the stuff that all kind of combined to make Star Wars. Then that was all flushed down the toilet and Disney restarted things and laid the ground level. Okay, now just the movies are canon. This began the AU when the Clone Wars show was made canon and then the Rebels show was made canon and the new books were made and blah, blah, blah. But the point is, these are two separate continuities. From an out-of-character perspective, these two things are completely separate existences. Make sense? Now, this is important to distinguish because some settings have a situation like this, except they're part of the same existence, the same overall setting. And so it's possible under those circumstances for there to be bleed-over, for Thrawn from the AU to meet Thrawn from the EU kind of a thing, right? Forgive me for explaining this. I've, I've actually had to answer this question several times, so I thought I'd clarify. But this is what Transformers did. Emphasis on past tense. Because it used to be this whole multiverse and all these little dimensions and all these little things, and there were only really two or three major contiguances across them. Uh, Primus being the big one, obviously. Optimus Prime dying, that's another one. And the third one is, of course, Unicron. Having said all that now, now that we've established what, how this multiversal thing kind of works, and I'll, don't worry, I'll talk more about Unicron later. What I need to talk about now is the fact that in some of the continuities, which may or may not still be contiguous with G1, the Decepticons used to be mindless slaves. Literally mindless. Kind of like how they're applied in this film, actually. Oh, not the Decepticons. The ones that Unicron converts to work for Galvatron. Those, whatever you want to call them, are no longer really sentient sapient beings in the strictest sense of the word. They are now mindless slaves, just like the Decepticons used to be. What's all this getting around to? Just a theory. I don't actually know if it's true. And I'm sure someone's going to pop into the comments and say, well, you're an idiot because issue 135 of the IDW comics proves that this is wrong, but... 
I think that Soundwave is a holdover from back when they didn't really have separate sentience and sapiens, that they were just mind slaves to whoever was in charge. In fact, according to interviews, which may or may not be true, as I mentioned behind-the-scenes info, one of the ideas was that Soundwave was challenging the others for leadership so that he could then order Astro Train to turn around and go pick Megatron back up and, re and repair him and reestablish him as their leader because... Bzz, Interesting to think about the way that uh, the mo the the idea appeals to me that the most loyal Decepticon is the one that you know is is mindless effectively it has to be uh, loyal it's just it, it that would make so much more sense than say what they tend to do on the Autobot side where you know they tend to elect their own leaders and follow them out of a sense of loyalty. Anywho, sorry for segueing on that. It's one of the only things I had to talk about in this film, so I do hope you enjoyed that. Moving on, so Soundwave. Uh, then the Matrix glows with Hot Rod, because of course it does, and Optimus dies. Spoiler alert. The death scene is surprisingly well done. It's somber. Everyone has their reaction. He, The way he just lays there and he mentions, you know, till all are one, which is a quote from Primus, and dies, and his body goes gray, and it just kind of falls to the side. The whole thing is, like I said, it's surprisingly well done. It's probably one of the more well-accomplished scenes in the film. I'd say second, uh, behind Unicron eating the first moon at the beginning of the film. Very well executed. So, Unicron talks, finally. Orson Welles nails Unicron. And the best part is, from what I understand... I don't even think it was necessarily on purpose. Like I said, there's some misinformation. One of the most common quotes you've probably heard is Orson Welles, who was quoted as talking to someone, saying how stupid it was that this role he had. It was like an interview. By contrast, the voice director involved mentioned that once Orson Welles actually got a hold of the script and read it, he was impressed enough to be like, yeah, okay, I'm with it. It's possible he was just snarking with the interviewer. It's possible he was just placating the uh, the voice director. And it's possible both are lying. This is a weird situation. I'm not sure what to make of it. Unfortunately, we will never know because he died very, very shortly after recording his final lines, which really sucks. It is thus a weird statement to say that I think this is one of his better voice acting uh, roles. I'm not sure how much voice acting he did prior to this. I know he did at least a couple things. I, I actually looked at his filmography, and then my eyes went cross-eyed because Orson Welles has been in so many things. Holy crap. He's even been in Godzilla. So, looking at that, not the original, Gohira, I mean just Godzilla as a concept. Looking at that, looking at that list, I was just like, okay, you know what, we're going to move on. So forgive me if he hasn't done other voice acting work, but God dang, he nails this role. And the best reason why is because he sounds bored. Utterly and completely disinterested in whatever it is that you think you have to say, Galvatron. And considering that the majority of his conversations are with Galvatron, you can almost see the sigh in his voice as he speaks. And it works so bloody beautifully. Because, of course, he'd be bored. He's Unicron. I, I, I guess I'll just go ahead and talk about this now. Unicron is by far the best part of this film for me. Easily bar none. And I imagine I'm not the only person who thinks that, since 
Well, if nothing else, Simon Furman took this idea and ran with it and is the reason why Unicron is what Unicron is now. On the off chance you don't know, allow me to elaborate. Simon Furman was responsible for the UK comics at the time. And The Matrix, which is in this film, The Matrix of Leadership, and Unicron as a concept were both things that came out of nowhere. Everything I've read has indicated the same thing. This was stuff invented for the movie to give it a bigger scope. Nothing more. He looked at that and was like, well, that's stupid, and started baking it into the mythos. The general idea is that in the beginning, there was Primus, good, and there was Unicron, bad. And the two of them are multiversal. Again, what I mean by that is there's, they technically cross the boundaries of the multiverse. So the idea was that there was one Unicron in the whole of the multiverse, just like there was one Primus in the whole of the multiverse. This idea got blurred and blended by several works afterwards to the point where Unicron can send out pieces of himself which could act on his behalf, and Primus could send, do the same thing. So there would be multiple Unicrons roaming around in the different universes, but ultimately they are all the same central being. Sense make? Now what's Unicron after? Destruction. Unicron is here to destroy the multiverse. That's it. And yet it is wonderfully horrific in how it is presented because Unicron has already succeeded in destroying something like 22% of the known universes. Which is an impressive number. And when you have all of time and the ability to stretch across dimensions, well, you have a problem. Now... You might think, well, what does that have to do with the Matrix? Well, the Matrix is a piece of Primus' spark, or a piece of Primus himself, or something that Primus designed. You see the problem with, with you know, 40 years of continuity at this point. Um, but the general idea, I guess it's more like 30 years of continuity, whatever, the point being, after decades of continuity, there's some finagling here and some cross-referencing and some cross-purposes, and of course, well, this leads to something that I found out about just relatively recently. The Shroud, or the Shrouding, if you prefer. Now, again, on the off chance you're not familiar with this, several of the people in charge looked at the situation and said, okay, we're having a, a DC problem. You know, DC, Crisis on Infinite Earths, the original Crisis. The reason that happened was because they had so many different versions of their characters, and they said, this is dumb. We want to have a contiguous continuity, an EU. So what they did was they smashed it, and they said that each of those different versions of Superman were from different realities, different shards, right? So Transformers already has that baked in, but even with that baked in excuse, they were starting to be issues because they just kept having more and more and more multiversal entities, entities that crossed over or could cross over or simply existed across multiple shards at the same time. So they came up with this, the idea of the shrouding. In-universe, Nexus Prime, who is one of the original 13, of which there's only the one 13, but now there's many 13s. You see the problem here. He decides to create this thing, use this ability, thanks to Ultra Magnus going crazy. We'll talk about that later. Or rather, no, we won't. We will never talk about that ever again. But <laughs> Ultra Magnus went crazy. That's all you really need to know. And the multiverse was getting damaged, so he sat down and worked with several of the other members of the 13, I think, in order to reestablish these barriers between the, the universes. What this means now is, while it's still technically the same setting, the barriers between the dimensions and the universes mean that it effectively isn't anymore. 
There's no crossing over. There's no multiversal entities. There's just this one shard, which cannot influence anything outside of itself. This is a big change to Transformers continuity. Which, of course, was a big change for Unicron. Each of the separate pieces of Unicron that he'd been sending out, well, those are now the Unicron of that particular shard. And, as a consequence, substantially weaker, because it's no longer part of the greater whole. It also leads to more variety in which type of Unicron each given setting can manifest, including the good Unicron, which that's a fun one, but anyways. So, all of this helps to explain... And this, I got all on this thing just because of Orson Welles' voice acting. Why does he sound bored? Because he is a true eldritch abomination. Well, I suppose that's not true, because an eldritch abomination is something you can't understand or comprehend. But So let's rewind that. He is what I would like eldritch abominations to be. A hurricane. An environmental enemy that doesn't really notice you and doesn't really care about you. This is why the bored voice works so well for Unicron, because why would he give a damn about Megatron or Galvatron or anything else? This is all just another day in a long, long, long series of days, and this is not the first universe he has eaten. He consumes how many moons and planets just in this film alone? Effortlessly, I might add. They even try to detonate one of the moons inside of him. Does nothing. <laughs> so that's his presentation of that disinterest and the way that he is just an environmental storm that's moving through the universe. It reminds me more than anything of Lavos, actually, which is another villain I happen to absolutely gush about. It's a specific execution. Either way, <clears throat> also, a couple other tiny little tidbits before I move forward. You notice how Unicron is just aware of what's happening in the movie, regardless of where he is? That also lines up with how Unicron is, although that is, of course, a retcon. That was something that was added after the fact, just like everything else about the mythos of Unicron. Go figure. Anywho, <clears throat> so, getting back to the movie proper... He takes the guys, he turns them into this more curved form. The one guy's got whiskers, it looks really weird. But they look more eldritch in a weird way. Um, this, of course, then leads to Galvatron going and... <coughs> killing Starscream. And we'll never see him again. Peace Wars. Um, this is also when I noticed that Paul Edding plays uh, Preceptor. I can't believe it took me that long. This is also when the movie starts to get bad. Up until now, I've actually been completely with it and legitimately enjoying myself. Also, everything I've just talked about is about three-fourths of my notes. The last fourth is devoted to the last half of the movie, or more. Because what happens now is the pacing goes to hell, and the storyboarding goes to hell, and what happens is just... Well, it's Final Fantasy IV all over again. Okay, here's an event. Okay, here's an event. Okay, here's an event. Well, why? what's connecting these events? Nothing. I want to stress this. There's this bit where they're fleeing from a massive attack by the new Decepticons, the, the, the Unicronians, or whatever you want to call them. So they flee, and then they start talking about, I want to have, I want to have a story read to me. And then well, Hot Rod's like, this is not the time for stories, as he's in the middle of training with a bot. And then as that's happening, they're attacked by the guys who they never stopped fleeing from. The whole thing has such a logic disconnect that I found myself just tilting my head a lot during the film. So then they get split up, naturally. Uh, Hot Rod and... Oh my god, I can't think of his name. The other main character. Because the two of them, effectively, are the main characters. I just can't think of his name. 
Hang on, I have the cast list right here. Give me a second. Oh, God, that's a big cast. Um, Cup, that's him. Cup. The two of them. That is him, right? I should double-check that. Give me a picture. Oh, for God's sake. Okay, fine. Transformers Cup. Pretty sure that's him. Yep, that's him. Okay, so, as I was saying, Cup and Hot Rod end up stranded on Hellville, and the rest of them land on Junk. And then we have weirdly horrifying antics. Like, the uh, the Quintesson just decides to effortlessly execute people, even though they're innocent, which is messed. Uh, very much like the United States legal system, actually. And so they, <laughs> so they said to him, he's like, how are you? How do you plead? I am. He is innocent. Very well. Toss him into the pit. And thus the very last member of the Lithones, I believe it was, is executed. So that's nice. That's nice. That's the end of a, a species there. So that's cool. Thanks for that. Um, genocide is fun. You. Then Grimlock shows up, and, and then he just kind of starts a rebellion by himself with a stomp. I'll admit that got a chuckle out of me. Uh, oh, yeah, there's also the Junkions. That's where Eric Idle comes into it, which are stupid. And there's this big fight happening between the Autobots and the Junkions. Then Hot Rod shows up. I'm, I'm just going to talk this straight, okay? So they're fighting. Hot Rod shows up. Hot Rod says, Ba weep, grana, weep, ninibong. And then they immediately segue into a dance party while Dare to be Stupid plays. I can't make that up. This feels like a fever dream at this point. I, what? This is probably the weirdest transition I've seen in the whole film. Then, at one hour and eight minutes into this film... This is not a long film, by the way. That's only like 15 minutes left of the film, and that's including credits. Unicron finally transforms. It's a cool scene. I'll give him that. And the idea that Unicron can transform is the kind of thing most of us probably guessed, but it is still cool to watch. Also, it's something that would... Uh... You know what? I'm not actually sure about that. Hang on a second. I meant to look up a date, and I forgot, and I just realized it because I was just checking my uh, thing for it. No, okay, never mind. Ignore me. Ignore me. Dates are wrong. So, Unicron transforms, then they fight. Three things, and then I'm actually done. Number one, why does Unicron have these giant acid pits inside of him to melt and dissolve people? Well, we know why. It's so that Wiki can actually be useful. <laughs> no, I'm dead serious. He has been just nothing but a load the entire film, having to run around in his suit to even be able to keep up. And now he finally gets to do something to actually contribute by saving his dad's life. So, yay! That's that's neat. But why is it actually there, like in-universe? Well, I came up with two reasons. Number one, food. Unicron literally does eat planets. All that mass has to go somewhere. And we see, after he eats that first moon, the rings around him power up. So it's not that hard to assume that he is processing all that down and is in a process similar to digestion in order to convert it into fuel, which helps him to keep going and keep consuming. I like the second answer better, though. Because screw him. No, really. Remember his overall goal. To destroy everything, to wipe out all reality and to exist by himself in the center of an endless and infinite void that contains a, a reality, a multiverse that contains nothing but himself. So, it could also be both, if we're being honest. 
It's also another one of those weirdly horrifying things. A lot of this film is strangely dark. I like it more as an adult, but considering that this was originally intended from the word go, remember the first line of the document was to sell toys, so I'm, I'm kind of curious how they, how they managed that. Anyways, so Unicorn Transforms is the acid pit. Rod, uh, Hot Rod becomes Rodimus Prime because we need to sell new toys. Am I the only one who thinks Hot Rod didn't earn that at all? I know he's one of the main characters of the film, alongside, I've already forgotten his name, Cup. It was Cup, I'm kidding. But it feels amazingly unearned to me. At no point do I buy him actually manning up and being a leader, the kind of person that you know the, the Matrix would actually work for. I'm going to bring up another Star Wars continuity, which, by the way, was part of the multiverse. The live-action stuff, that was baked in. Seriously. Although with the Shroud, now it's kind of not, which is probably for the best. I wonder if the Michael Bay stuff is why they came up with the idea for the Shroud originally. Huh. Anyways, anyways. The... Just, I'm just picturing now. In uh, Revenge of the Fallen, which is a dumb film, there's actually a really good line. The matrix of leadership is not found, it is earned. And that's exactly right. That is how that has been presented through a lot of Transformers continuity. Not this film, obviously, because he's obviously the destined one to have it. I mean, like I said, it glows when he picks it up way back at the beginning of the film, so obviously he's the one who's supposed to have it. But I do like that idea, and that I like that idea so much that I find myself looking at this film and going, but he didn't earn it. He didn't, he's just, he's just a dick who's occasionally correct, and also got Optimus killed, so thanks for that, buddy. Also, his alt form looks dumb, in my opinion. I mean, not everything has to be blocky and old, but, I don't know, the weird curves that they use in all the new toys just never worked for me, just aesthetically, you know? Anyone else have that vibe? I actually never bought or received as gifts from my parents or grandparents any of the the next-gen, I guess that would be G2, I'm not actually sure what the proper terminology is, the the post-movie Transformers, because I just, I didn't like them. Anyways, I'm getting off topic. The last thing I want to talk about is something I don't talk about all that often. A specific brand of what I would call bad writing. Now, I talk about bad writing all the time, but it's actually quite rare that the exact thing I'm about to bring up comes up. That's because it's usually reserved for kids' shows or cartoons or something like that. It's like this. The heroes win when the heroes are supposed to win. The heroes lose when the heroes are supposed to lose. And the same goes for the villains. That's it. There's no logic. There's no reason. There's no explanation. There's no skill. There's no strategy. There's no outmaneuvering or outdefeating or outcunning or outplanning or outsupporting. There's no outnumbering. It doesn't matter. Numbers, capacity, ability, nothing actually matters because it is your turn to lose. Or to win. And so you do. That's it. That's the style of, style of writing in a nutshell. And if you watch this film, you will see that everywhere. It is so obvious, but it's almost like someone flips a switch in the background. It's like, okay, their turn now. And the battle just turns for no reason. And this is true for the entire film, including the finale where they defeat Unicron, because it's Unicron's turn to lose. 
The entire film has done an excellent job of building up this massive monster of doom, death destructo, who is a planet eater, and technically a cannibal. But no, now he's losing to guys who are equivalently the size of... God, I'm not even sure I can come up with... Like, a single skin flake feels like it's overselling the size variance there. And they're beating him. Why? Well, because it's it's time for him to lose. Now, I know, I know. The actual Matrix is what actually defeats him. But pay attention to the fight. They're beating his ass the whole time. Literally, by the way. Thanks for that, Grimlock. Side note, I've actually always liked Grimlock. He's he's amusing, and his face underneath the T-Rex the thing is really cool. Anyways. <clears throat> Grimlock for life. So, <laughs> they're literally destroying him. And beating his ass. And... He's just flailing and can't deal with it. What? Keep in mind, he could probably destroy Cybertron in, oh, I don't know, a minute? Tops? We could try to argue around this or discuss around this, but no, it, it's his turn to lose, so he loses. And I never realized how much I disliked that until I watched this and remembered something. Because I remembered that from when I was a kid. And from when I used to watch cartoons. And how much it used to frustrate me when they would do that in a lot of the older cartoons. Even as a kid, it bothered me that, oh, it's the good guy's time turn to lose, but now it's the good guy's turn to win. Now, you probably know me and know that I'm kind of a continuity thing. Would you believe that goes back to when I was a child? I used to love it when there would be recurring characters or arcs across the shows I would watch. And I guess I've talked about that if you watch any of my TNG stuff. But, again, even in cartoons, that was true. Um, Batman the Animated Series comes to mind immediately. But even the older stuff than that. But I'm, I remember so clearly, after having watched this film, being so frustrated. Because it was like, well, but they didn't do anything. They're injured and hurt, and why are they winning now against a foe that's superior? Shouldn't there be some reason for that? I used to debate this with my friends in the playground. Hey, don't you think there should be some reason? And, of course, people would just say, nerd, and then, you know, move on. Or my friends would just say, oh, you just need to let it go, Lore. Because everyone called me Lore back when I was in school. <sighs> Funnily enough, with the advantage of a few dozen more years on me, I can now safely look back and say, no, I shouldn't have let it go, and no, it was, in fact, dumb. Because it is demonstrably bad writing. It's just saying, okay, now they win and now they lose, without any reasoning or thought that went into it. It is, in fact, lazy. I don't care if you're trying to sell something that's just to sell, to, to sell toys. I don't care. Make a good product. It's doable. Provably. Now, I hate to end on such a harsh note, so allow me to say that I do value this film. It was actually interesting and more fun than I thought it would be going back through it. Mostly for those first 20 minutes, which actually I have very few complaints about. <laughs> You'll notice, by the way, that in that first 20 minutes, the battle goes the way it does because of logic and reason. It's a surprise attack, but the surprise attack actually gets foiled. So even though they have the advantage of numbers and, and a little bit of surprise, it's not a total surprise. So the Decepticons are not in the position to win. However, in direct contrast to this, they are winning slowly because they still have the advantage. But the Autobots manage to get a signal out to get reinforcements. Once the reinforcements show up, the tide starts to turn. Once the tide starts to turn, the Decepticons start to push back and retreat. Also, we have the big fight between Megatron and Optimus, which, by the way, effectively ends in a 
draw because both of them are severely damaged and injured to the point where Megatron can't even walk and Optimus dies. So that then leads to Starscream, of course, being the one to sound the retreat and the rest of them get the heck out of Dodge while the Autobots lick their wounds. All of that makes sense. <laughs> so, good, bad, one way or another, this film is especially memorable. And I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on it. I will see you guys next time.